0: Agriculture can lead to a decent, respectable job Work alone on your own terms That's what I like
1: That was Palestinian student Ubaida Akram Jawabra Three years ago He was studying agriculture At a local vocational school In the occupied West Bank
0: I'm 15 years old and I like to cook
1: He had dreams of becoming a chef
0: I don't want to work for someone else And have him order me around It's better to order yourself around. As Israel and Hamas agree to a ceasefire, we turn to look at the tragic death of one Palestinian teenager, Obeida Jawabra.
1: On May 17th, Obeida Jawabra became one of more than 60 Palestinian children killed by the Israeli military in this latest conflict. Who was Obeida Jawabra? And why is his story so similar to so many Palestinian young people before him? and to the many more young Palestinians being arrested today. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. It's not often that we're able to hear the voices of the children killed in conflict. But Obaida's story even before his death last week, was so common to Palestinians and so unknown to the rest of the world that it was the subject of a short film simply called Obaida.
0: The problem is Route 60 and had to cross it to go to school.
1: Israeli military forces arrested Obeda when he was 14 years old near his home in the occupied West Bank.
2: So my name is Farah Bayatse and I'm a human rights lawyer based in Jerusalem.
1: Farah Bayadzi was his lawyer then. When he was 14 years old,
2: and he was detained by the Israeli forces.
1: Farah was working for Defense for Children International Palestine, the same group that made the film about obeyda's life.
2: It's a human rights organization that is since 1991, which provides free legal consultations and services to children. I was appointed to be his lawyer, and I got to know him, and we started our trial. Do you remember meeting him? Yeah, especially him. Albaida made an impression. His spirit had something special, and he was calm, surprisingly. And because of his young age, he was 14, I was too sensitive. So yeah, I do remember our first meeting, and uh, I keep (laughs) thinking about it. Every time I think about Obeda, I imagine him as a young, very small boy facing a very big system, which is not designed to protect him or protect the Palestinian community that he comes from.
1: Every year, hundreds of Palestinian children are arrested by the Israeli military and security forces, put in Israeli prisons, and tried in military courts. Israeli children Aren't tried in the military system, and with more protests like the ones this month in Jerusalem and Gaza, the numbers can go up. So
2: yeah, the charges throwing stones, and uh, by the way, this is a very you know general and common charge that the Palestinian children are usually accused of. I remember him him saying me that I didn't do it.
1: Obeda was from a small refugee camp near Hebron, Al-Hurub.
2: It's next to Hebron, as you said, which has a very large presence of settlers, usually, and Israeli military presence.
1: Hebron is home to one of the first illegal Israeli settlements established in 1968. And in 1994, an Israeli-American settler shot and killed 29 Palestinians in a Hebron mosque. There was also tensions in Hebron. So adding to existing tensions here in Hebron. There was a lot of tension, especially in the city of Hebron. Hebron remains no. a flashpoint of Israeli-Palestinian tensions. Tensions in this area are consistently high. The Al-Arub refugee camp, where Ubaidah lived, is just north of Hebron. Route 60, which is used by settlers, passes almost right through. The road number 60.
2: Biden needed to cross this road. And uh, during his arrest, he was uh, going to the supermarket. And during his walk, there was clashes between Israeli military forces and other persons from the camp. And then he was arrested and was accused of being a part of the clashes and throwing stones.
1: What is it like to be in an Israeli prison as a 14-year-old what did he tell you about what he faced? So, I just
2: want to say that it's important to stress that the majority of the ill treatment that happens to the Palestinian children usually happens before reaching the jail, which means that during the transportation or during the arrest itself.
0: <laughs> I was on my way to the store when they arrested me. When they took me for interrogation, they bound my hands in plastic cord. They used two of them so that I couldn't move my hands at all. My eyes were covered in a thick blindfold. It also covered my nose and made it hard to breathe. When you're walking and can't see anything, you feel dizzy. You're scared and you hesitate. The soldiers told me there were steps, but there weren't any steps, so I'd fall.
2: And this is what typically happens. So uh, usually we document the torture and the
0: ill-treatment
2: by the Israeli forces during the transportation and the interrogation itself.
0: The soldiers would beat me strategically in places that wouldn't leave marks, so there wouldn't be any evidence on my body I could use to testify against them.
2: He reported to me that his interrogation was coercive. Usually they use violence, physical violence, verbal violence towards the children. And then even after the interrogation ends, when the child is being transported to the jail itself, even there the cells are very small. So they are being held in a more uh, punitive model than a rehabilitation model. And also you are not allowed to have phone calls with their families, friends, anybody. And they are only allowed to have one to two visits a month. In the term of uh, education, they don't get any, you know, really good education program. They're like limited to just skills in Hebrew, Arabic, and math. And uh, this interruption Can have long term effect.
1: You mentioned that Rabeda would get limited time to talk to his family. What about with you and his lawyers? Was there more time to interact with your client?
2: So me, as a lawyer, when I was also visiting him in prison, this had a limited time with a last barrier between us. And the only free time that I can get with Obeyda is when I see him in the court hearing and sessions. That's where I can have this human interaction. Obeyda was aware of the reality that he lived in during his time in prison. I remember him being very patient, and um, I got acquitted eventually. But he was uh, already held for two months in prison, which is a very long time.
1: How did you manage to win that case?
2: Albaida was innocent, and he was very confident of himself. We brought the soldier that witnessed against him that he threw the stones. And there were contradictions in their sayings. And we pursued the trial until the end. Eventually, the court decided that uh, Obeidah had not uh, committed the crime.
1: The moment that the acquittal was announced or declared, do you remember what happened, how Obeda reacted, how you reacted? I
2: remember having my first tattoo, so.
1: A celebratory tattoo?
2: <laughs> yeah, and, but I remember, yeah, I remember how much uh, Obeda was happy because eventually all the effort that we had and all the time that he spent wasn't put uh, away. But I told him, I remember myself telling him that it's not a victory for me because at the end of the day, Obeda spent two months in prison, even if he was acquitted. My victory is when you stop arresting Palestinian children, when the Israeli occupation ends, then I will feel it as a victory. For now, it's something that I will be happy for today, but he was criminalized at the end of the
0: night. A lot happened to me in prison, and when I left, I noticed a lot changed. I had a lot of schoolwork to catch up on. I didn't know which subjects I was going to choose. I chose a vocational school because the schoolwork had piled up. I couldn't catch up. They gave me exams for two months and I struggled a lot. Every day I had to finish a book to catch up. I started to think, why are we so different from the other children in the world? Why are we detained when you're young and made to suffer? While others are happy, playing sports with many opportunities that we don't have, why are they like that and why are we like this? This day, no one can answer me.
1: It wasn't long before Israeli military forces arrested Obeida again. And I remember the
2: second arrest and the interrogators and the military forces were very upset because he was acquitted. He was uh, beaten by the interrogator and that's why he confessed throwing stones and that's why he was sentenced eventually. But I must say that the interrogator himself told him, word by word that this time you will pay the price of you being acquitted in your first arrest. Wow. Yeah, and eventually he was sentenced for a couple of months and he was released uh, after a couple of uh, days because there was no enough charges. So obviously he was targeted, obviously he was pursued by the system and obviously he was killed eventually. This is the reality that the Preciate children live
1: under. On Monday, May 17th, Israeli forces shot Obeidah on a street in the Al-Arub refugee camp. Witnesses say ambulances were blocked from getting near him. But eventually, he was taken to a medical facility nearby, where he was pronounced dead. When did you first hear about what happened to Obeidah on May 17th?
2: Uh... So I was watching the news when I heard about the killing in refugee Arub. I saw that someone's been killed and I had this feeling that it might be someone of my clients. Yeah, I remember myself like looking at the news where they were sharing the ambulance um, vehicle and I remember that someone that looks like Obeida's brother like sitting next to the body and like crying and like uh, screaming, and I said, "Oh my God, it's it, it looks like Aveda, but it cannot be Abida." And I was, "Oh my God, oh my God," I was, and then I got the message. I said, "Oh my God, this is Abida who was killed," and, and at that moment I was
1: very speechless. That gut intuition.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: It's unbelievable to me. He had a lot of life inside of him, a lot of energy, positive energy. I don't know, but it is is a shock. It is still a shock for me, for my colleagues, and for everyone who knew knew Obeidah and his family. It's something unbelievable.
1: And unfortunately, he's not alone. More than 60 Palestinian children have been killed by Israel just this May. Yeah. Why is that? Why so many young people?
2: So yeah, as you said, Albaida the, the, the is not alone. The killing is, uh, is continuing from the Israeli side. And uh, keep in mind, the 500 Palestinian children that were killed during the assault on Gaza in 2014, and, the central problem is that for the Israeli forces are carrying this action in the context of impunity. There is no um, accountability for the Israeli occupation, uh, and uh, there is, on the other hand, there is a systematic
1: impunity. <laughs> So as we've mentioned a couple of times during this interview, the Defense for Children International, who you worked for at the time you were representing Hobeida, filmed a video after he was out of jail. He was going to school. He was studying to be a chef. He was even growing his own vegetables. And there's one scene in particular where he is cooking makluba, which is a complicated dish with chicken and rice and vegetables, and you have to turn it upside down to get the perfect flip. And you're watching it. I'm watching it. And I can see this path for him between all the barriers between the jail and the Israeli occupation and the violence. He is managing to carve out a way to the future. And of course, we know in the end, he doesn't make it. For you, in reflecting on that and knowing that he's not alone and that you have other clients who are going through similar things, what's your advice to them, to your clients? What is the way forward for them?
2: Okay, so I think that I can direct my advice to those responsible for ensuring the children's rights and uh, safety for example, state parties, rather than advising the children themselves. We have to remember that children like Ubaida, it shouldn't be their responsibility to to figure out how to avoid getting shot or being killed or bombed or being arrested in the occupation. Uphold international law, especially the convention of the rights of the child. Abayda had the opportunity to share life and occupation in the refugee camp. You can see how much challenges and how much it is hard to be living there as a child. We need more hands and more hearts to speak up for Abayda's case and for the Abaydas everywhere. We need to honor his life and his memory by speaking up against this injustice all over Palestine by the Israeli forces. So my advice is to give those Palestinian children the opportunity to build their future and to uh, to reach and to fulfill their dreams.
1: Beautifully said. Thank you for that. And I, I love how you... redirected the question, because it is not for the children to learn how to live within an unjust system. It's for the people who made the unjust system to ensure that they protect children.
2: Exactly. It's it's not their responsibility. They are only children at the end of the day.
1: But Farah also tells the children she works with that because they are Palestinian, they will have to be more than children because they face more than other children do.
2: The Israeli police say they've announced a major operation that is now currently underway to arrest hundreds of Palestinian Israelis.
1: Israeli forces have detained more than 1,500 Palestinians, including children, in the past month. Early this week, Israeli police announced they would arrest 500 more people.
0: They say thousands
2: of police and border fighters all over the country uh, arrested hundreds of people.
1: This is the sound of a young girl crying as her brother, 10 years old, sits in the back of an Israeli squad car. It was captured on video and posted on Twitter. The video was shocking for many, but for Farah, it's what she's come to expect now.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, the arrest that happened already has included uh, many minors. And I must say that this, it's the first time that the police declare that they're going to have 500 arrests, which is very funny because I don't know what system that declared the number before doing and committing the arrest. You know how uh, to say, be aware. Like, we are, we're going to have this massive arrest uh, raids, but uh, Israel does not care if the detainee is a minor or not. The young Palestinians, in the majority of the cases, they're being arrested uh, from their homes, uh, from their schools, from the streets, and in a very violent way. And the violations of their rights continues from the first uh, moment of the arrest starts, and it continues until maybe forever.
1: Before we ended our interview, I had just one final question for Farah. I wanted to know about her celebratory tattoo, the one she got after Obeda was acquitted. I wanted to know what it symbolized for her about Obeda's case. What is your tattoo? Butterfly.
2: Freedom. It's a symbol of freedom, and uh, I did it when Obeidah got acquitted. And I wanted to remember it. But I didn't know that I will look at it now and see other things. For me, Obeida will all the time represent the freedom of the Palestinian children that we are seeking for, and they are seeking for, and hopefully the international community is seeking for also.
1: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Priyanka Tilvey, Nagin Oliay, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer, Tom Fenton is our story editor, and Stacy Samuel is our executive producer. A special thank you today to Defense for Children International in Palestine for allowing us to use their documentary about Ubaida Jawabra. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Ubaida. Thanks also to the filmmaker, Matthew Castle, for his help with this episode. And to Karim Diwaji, who served as the voice of Obaida. We'll be back.